Colton Heward's on the show, and we're talking mule deer. Information you can trust, stories you can relate to, and tips and tactics you can apply on your next adventure. Hunting, fishing, camping, and everything in between. This is the Battle Mountain Podcast. All right, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to the Battle Mountain Podcast. Uh, today, I have a friend of mine, Colton Heward, on the show. Colton, thanks for joining me. You bet, man. Appreciate uh, you having me on. Yeah, man. I'm looking forward to it. I uh, I actually met Colton. I was uh, filming at the Deseret Ranch, and Colton happened to be uh, the guide for one of the one of the gentlemen that I was filming, and that's how I met Colton and found out that Colton is a uh, it's just, you know, he, I think he's more interested in doe antelope and turkeys <laughs> than he is mule deer, but I think he likes mule deer too. <laughs> They're a close second. <laughs> oh, but no, Colton is a diehard mule deer hunter. And, uh, yeah, so I'm just going to let Colton kind of introduce himself real quick. And then he and I are just going to talk a little bit about mule deer. Cool, man. Yeah. I, uh, so I've, I live here in Northern Utah. Um, I've been guiding on Deseret for seven years full time. And I was three years part time before that kind of crazy time flies. You don't realize how that it's been 10 years, but, uh, yeah, I've been up there for, for 10 years, super fortunate to be able to guide up there and grateful for the opportunity. I mean, we, we get to, you know, hunt some of the best deer and elk hunting in the West. Um, no doubt about that. So it's, it's pretty, pretty neat. I thoroughly enjoy, you know, guiding and mule deer, definitely my passion. I mean, when I'm, when I'm not guiding, I'm typically chasing mule deer myself. So that's, that's definitely my, my, uh, kind of what drives me. That's cool. Yeah. I, I just, you know, I remember, uh, riding around with you guys and even even the first day that i actually got to go with you guys after i filmed the first guy um you know i could just i could just tell that that mule deer was was as far as hunting goes is what excites you um you know i could just tell by by the way you talk about it um and and everything like that that it's just that's that's what excites you when it comes to hunting which is awesome yeah, I mean it's it's dude, it's mule deer my passion no doubt. I mean I've I've always you know lived by you know the adage I'll hunt anything that's in season and I can get a tag for. But given the choice, I will hunt mule deer ten out of ten times. Um, <laughs> there's just and honestly, dude, people ask me like why mule deer and I I can't pinpoint it. Um, I I think the biggest thing is just the. I don't know the cat and mouse game that comes with hunting old mature mule deer, you know, five, five plus year old deer that, you know, they've been around the block, they've seen it. And I hear people all the time, like, well, yeah, you're guiding on a, you know, a 240,000 acre private ranch. You're not hunting these pressure deer. And that is true. But by the time those deer get to five, six years old, they, they honestly turn into a whole nother animal in my opinion than say like your three, four year old deer. I mean, those old mature bucks, whether you're on public land or private land or whatever, when you outsmart one of them, you you've done something right. And I think that's the biggest allure for me that uh, just drives my fuel, I guess, for chasing those big deer. Well, yeah. And I, not only, not only do, I mean, just like a human, right? So before the sh- before we started recording, you and I were laughing and joking about our kids, which is they're both too. Yeah. Um, obviously, I would hope that I have more life knowledge and sense of survival than my two-year-old. And, right. you know, and the same thing goes with mule deer. It's just their one, two, and three years is probably every 10 or 15 years for us. You know, it's yep. just, it's just a little different. Um, yep. but, uh, and then on top of that, you know, it, what you just kind of do address what you mentioned about people saying, yeah, well, you're, you're hunting on this giant ranch. Well, 
it, it like there's still predators. Um, there's there's still people hunting around the borders. Every neighboring person is hunting. Um, oh, yeah. And then on top of that, you guys have an age limit um, that is that is very strictly enforced. And I think it's set in place by uh, obviously you know more about that by a bi- biologist that works there. Yeah. Or? yeah so the, the ranch itself has a full time biologist, and and they kind of set our our management uh, objectives and for mule deer in, in specific we are hunting five plus year old deer or older um and we just you know do that because we figure by the time they've gotten to five you know that they've they've reached maturity um in in my personal opinion i don't think that they've quite hit full maturity till they hit six or seven if you want to talk about like their best horn growth years that's not all the time, but I would say more often than not, you know, those deers, the deer's best years of horn growth are typically, you know, six, seven, maybe even eight. But, uh, anyways, yeah, you know, we're hunting five, five plus year old deer. Um, and it's, it's pretty cool. There's, there's a lot of deer on the ranch, you know, this, this last year when, when you were there, um, the year prior was a pretty rough winter and it knocked our herd down pretty good. And so we're still recovering from that. Um, I mean, you saw, we still saw lots of deer, uh, but the, those older age class bucks, they're just, they're not around every bush. Right. Uh, right. You no, know, definitely they're, not. They're still few and far between. And, you know, to expand a little bit on, you know, just the difficulty of harvesting, these old mature bucks um there was there was a buck that we chased for the first like three days that we hunted and he's a buck we called joe he was like a just a clean typical that was right there in that high 80s low 90s uh mark one of the best deer that we had on the ranch this last year i hunted him hard during the archery hunt um came really close we had him under 50 yards three different times dang it just never came together and once he stripped his velvet like those old mature bucks do he kind of became a ghost and i hunted him call it would have been a combined six or seven weeks after that archery hunt and i saw that buck three times that's insane. And and and, and every, the three times I saw him, he was in the same area. So I know he was still there. You know, he didn't just up and leave. He just – my guess is he had gone mostly nocturnal. Um, you know, I would still see the bucks that he was hanging out with early on and whatever. But, dude, we, he, that buck just flat out disappeared. And he's definitely the buck that I've – got the highest hopes for this year i figured that he was a six-year-old deer last year because i had hunted him the year prior not super hard because he was like 170 inch five-year-old deer and you know those are just the kind of bucks that although he would have been five at 170 inch five-year-old he, that's the kind of buck that i'd like to see live another year or two just to see what he does you know so anyways i'm i'm anxious to see what he does this year but that buck gave me a run around all season long and ultimately he won. So, yeah, well, and, and to your point, you know, of, I, you know, obviously it, it could be debated until the cows come home. What age is the true mature deer? Right. Um, but let's be honest. If you have a really big frame deer that has some nubs of sticker starting and you think he's five or six. I think the likelihood of that deer going downhill come seven is, is not good. <laughs> you know, I think, I think if you're looking at a deer and his tines are shorter, um, he look, you know, maybe he's extremely massive, um, or, or something like that, you might look at that deer and go, okay, next year he's probably not going to get bigger. Right. You know, so I, I, do, I do, I agree with you where I, I, at the end of the day, it probably depends on the deer. Um, right. But, but definitely if you see a great buck and you're like, oh, that's a five-year-old deer, I bet you he'll be better next year. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and, and that's, that's one advantage that I do have of hunting those deer on private land. I can let that deer go 
and know that unless the buck dies of natural causes, he's going to come back next year. And, you know, I've never personally hunted this ranch, to be honest. I can't afford it. I mean, those tags are extremely expensive. The The majority of hunting that I do is on public land. And on public land, I'd be lying if I said it's not a little different, a little bit different of a ball game. I mean, if if you let a five-year-old buck go on public land at, you know, 170, 175 inch deer, that's, you're, you're definitely rolling the dice, you know, because there's a a lot more options uh, for that buck to get killed. So, and, and I don't think there's a right or a wrong answer there. I think it just, it varies to each hunter on kind of what they're looking for. But what I have kind of come to realize that age is the true trophy. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love to kill big deer just as much as the next guy and have the most inches on their heads. But the more that I've hunted public land, the tougher it's becoming. If you can find and kill a five-year-old deer on public land on a consistent basis, dude, that's a trophy. Yeah, dude, isn't that the truth? I mean, yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I, I think I sent you a picture of my Montana deer I shot this year. And you had a couple of kickers, right? Yeah. And big, big frame, good y- mass. Exactly. But yep. if, if I don't even know if he would go 130. Uh, right. You know, but I mean, giant main beams. His bases are as big around as Coke cans. And yep. he has this one big old kicker. As soon as it didn't matter, <laughs> as soon as I saw that kicker, it was all over. <laughs> <laughs> he could have been completely broke off on the other side. I still probably would have shot him. <laughs> yep. Yep. I'm a big sucker for 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 weird stuff, you know. For sure, for sure. But and 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 on on the flip side of that, the the biggest score wise buck I've ever killed, I shot in Idaho two years ago, and we hunted our asses off for five days. We hadn't seen a mature buck to save our life. Like the biggest deer that we had seen was a two year old buck, and I was starting to question if I should even be there. If I should, you know, my time's better spent at home with my, my wife and kid. And the morning of day five, we found this great buck and ended up slipping in and we got him killed. And he's, he's low one eighties. And just, I mean, just a great deer clean four by four, matching split G threes. But dude, I'll be honest. He's probably a four year old deer. And every time I look at that deer, as much as I, and grateful for him i always just think in my head like god what if what what would he have been with another year or two you know dude it's so funny i have that picture up right now it's actually going to be the thumbnail for the podcast uh episode and i literally have a, a deer that is a spitting image of that deer minus the split g2s yeah and uh you know i shot him in wyoming and it's the exact same thing. And I was, gosh, I was like a sophomore in high school when yeah. I shot that deer. And so, so like, I don't think I'd pass up a deer like that now, but there's no yeah. way in hell back in high school, right. you know, but I, I truly agree. I, I think he was four and a half, maybe five and a half. And, right. and I think the same thing. I look at him and I'm like, man, that was, that was the coolest thing ever. You know, I won the big buck contest or whatever in high school. Right. And, yeah. but I still, like you, I, I still look up at the wall and I, and I remember remember the good things but i also go man that thing would have been a monster <laughs> you know <laughs> but yeah I, I i i can't disagree with you you know i because I, I i feel the same way i uh there there was a point in time where i'd be like man that that buck's 160 i think i should do better or whatever and then i started hunting more states and i had less time right. and once i had less time it was more of man, that deer excites me, or this would be a really cool stock, or something like that, that started moving more and more into play, uh, that kind of shifted the scale to, I... I, you know, I, I don't, and it depends and uh, it, it depends what mood I'm in. If I'm not, if I'm in, like, I'm just going to kill shit mood, then, 
then I'll be honest, like a big four corner, three pointers, it, like any deer with horns better watch out. Like, <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, especially when I got a bow only tag, you know, yeah, um, right. but on the flip side, like much like you, I, I try not to shoot a younger age class deer, but if I look at something and I get excited, there's not much that's going to pull the old ponies back. <laughs> no. And, and as they shouldn't, you know, so much, so much emphasis nowadays gets put on, well, what did he score? And, and dude, it, it frustrates me um, how much emphasis gets put on that because you know what? I know people that have shot 200 inch deer that they weren't even as excited when they shot that deer as I was when I shot 140 inch four point last year with my bow. Right. You know, and, and, and like you just said, if it gets you excited, screw everybody else. It doesn't (laughs) matter. That's what you're out there for. That's why we do it. If you're, you know, obeying the law and, you know, hunting ethically and whatever else, knock yourself out. I don't care if you shoot a forky. I personally won't do it. You know, that just wouldn't get me excited. But if it gets somebody else excited, they shouldn't feel bad or be put down right. for it. Exactly. I'm, I'm so sick of seeing that crap. I just could scream. Yeah, it drives me nuts. I did see, and this is a completely different subject, because I remember you talking about you wanted to shoot a great big forkhorn. Yeah, Man, I do. I, I saw one this year that, like, his his uh let's see his g2s uh were probably i don't know 16 18 inches long and they were bladed and mm. he was probably 23 24 inch wide and just this massive dark chocolate horn fork horn that's awesome. He was so, and he was, he was all rutted up, you know, it was crazy. It was, it was, he looked so much bigger than all the other deer with, it was just nuts. Um, I'm assuming you didn't have a tag in your pocket. No, I did. And where he bedded, I was like, I told my wife, I said, you know, that deer is freaking cool again. I'm, and I was like, you know what? I'm on the edge. I'm on the, you know, I'm on the tipping scale, whether I would go shoot him or not, but he's in such a terrible spot. Yeah. I, I have no clue and and either later that day or the next day we ended up going over there and then i looked down and saw where they were and i was like i, I might have been able to get 150 yards away <laughs> like yeah. like they yeah. were just they knew where they were as smart suckers <laughs> <laughs> go figure <laughs> yeah exactly but you know with with mature deer um I would kind of like to spend some time talking about maybe maybe some of the some of the types of terrain that you focus on, um, and and obviously there's there's a huge variety. So yeah. what I what I'm wondering is, you know, as far as the lower country like sage stuff, basically like what we were hunting when when I was there filming you. Yeah. Um, I want to talk a little bit about that type of country, and then I want to talk a little bit about. Uh, you know, maybe a little bit higher when you're, when you're more focused on hunting Aspen pockets and things like that. Cause the sage isn't really there. Yeah. Um, sure. so first off, let's, you know, let's start with the lower stuff, the, the sage country that, that, uh, it, you know, I, it sounds like from talking to you, it sounds like you kind of call that home. <laughs> I, I definitely do. I mean, you, you saw when you were up on the ranch with me, I mean, the other hunters and guides, you know, they go out and they're they're hunting in the pines and the quakies and kind of some rolling sage. Well, I just pack my truck up and head east out into like antelope country. Right. And, and you know, and I'm talking, you know, huge sage flats, uh, cedars, you know, red dirt. And I go there for a couple of reasons. The first, you know, the biggest reason that I go there is because there's big deer there. Um, the, the second reason I go there is because most people don't have the patience that it takes to find and harvest those bucks. Um, the, the deer numbers are definitely not near as high out there. Um, but there's big deer to be had in that lower elevation. And that's just kind of where I've dug my niche, I guess, you know, on, on the ranch, that's kind of my home out in that country. And, and I mean, as, as you saw, I mean, we found deer, um, 
you know, the, the buck that Lance ended up killing was a great buck. And that, that one was kind of an interesting one. You know, I think that that, that buck right there brings up a good point. That's a buck that we actually saw earlier in the week. And then we went back looking for him and we couldn't find him, couldn't find him. And just by deductive reasoning, you know, there was a shelf right there that you couldn't see from really any major glassing point. Right. Um, and, and all it was was a sage bench. And and sometimes you don't realize how big, you know, it doesn't look like much when you're looking at it with the naked eye. And you get up a little bit of elevation and you're like, oh, that deer could hide up there for weeks. Yeah. And anyways, uh, if, if you remember, we ended up hiking up above a – like a, a water tank just to get a little elevation and sure as shit, dude, there he was. And, and I just think that, you know, that's a good point. Again, coming back to, it doesn't matter whether you're on public land or private land or whatever, those smart old bucks are going to do what they can to put themselves in an area or a position where they're not going to be seen. Right. That, where that buck went, you could not see him from any roads. That just wasn't happening. And, and he felt safer, obviously. Um, so anyways, you know, looking for those areas that you just can't see, it doesn't have to be like five miles in the back country. You know, that was right above a road, like 400 yeah. yards above a road, <laughs> but that buck had found a spot that nobody could see him from, you know, without a little bit of effort. And I think that there's a lot to be said for that, no matter where you're hunting, um, you know, look for those little benches, pockets, basins, whatever that you just can't see from a road. Uh, I I just think that they're they they know they they know that they don't get as much pressure there. Yeah, absolutely. And I remember you know driving down the road uh, the one day, and we got next to that really steep, almost not quite cliff face, but yeah, pretty damn close. Yep. And. Uh, uh, you know, Lance is like, oh, there's a deer. And I throw up my binos and so did you guys. And I'm like, oh, that's a pretty good buck. And then bam, right. he was gone. And, and then the night that we ended up shooting him, it was no different. Um, you know, we got him found and then bam, he was gone. <laughs> and yeah. We're like, where did he go? And finally, yeah. one of you guys saw him. We ran down the hill, got in the truck, got closer and started working our way up there and we got up there and bam he was gone, <laughs> gone. Yeah. and then you know we got over that one and then heard their foots jump their feet jumping uh which is always cool and right. that's with a bow with a rifle it's kind of cool because they typically stop right, right. With, a, with a bow you're like son of a bitch because <laughs> <laughs> when they stop it's what it's right on that 100 to like 150 you know typically. you know and with a bow you're like God, if he was like, you know, five, ten yards closer, I'd be slinging it. Uh, right. With a rifle, you're like, uh, you're dead. <laughs> yep. But, yep. you know, what a what a what an awesome spot up there for a smart, old, mature deer to say, hey, nobody comes up here. Nobody right. walks up here. Nobody can see me from anywhere, really, except for one or two spots. And, I mean, that... Uh, how smart to choose that as your home, you know? Yeah. And, and to be honest, dude, there's always something to learn. And every time I hunt a mature buck, I learn something. Um, you know, that buck in particular taught me about that bench. I mean, I've guided on that ranch for, like I said, 10 years now. And I didn't know that that bench, I knew there was, you know, ground there, but dude, that bench was big yeah. and those draws were deep. And I mean, those deer can just flat disappear. Yeah. And, and, and so going forward, dude, I guarantee you that won't be the last deer that one of my clients kills on that bench. I guarantee it. No, absolutely not. And, and really, if you find the deer, the stock isn't, isn't too terrible. You know, it's not, no. it's, it's something that, that you're able to say, okay, there's the deer. And unless it's the last day and the last night and you're, you're fighting light, it's, you know, I, could you imagine climbing up on that bench at first light in the dark and waiting for it to get light and watching the sun come up and illuminate that whole bench. And you're like, Oh, there, there's a deer. There's a deer. There's a deer. Oh, there's a good one. Shoot it. Yep. <laughs> and, it and it's totally doable. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, you can get to so many places on that bench 
uh, and, and see quite a bit of it, you know? Yeah. Well, and I, one thing that I think anywhere you're hunting mule deer, you have to be patient when you're glassing, but I feel like when you're hunting low density areas, you know, like those, those lower elevations, you have to be even more patient. Um, and, and it always amazes me how well and how easily deer just appear and then disappear in what literally looks like shin high sagebrush. Yeah. I mean, it, it absolutely amazes me. And, and I just think that there's a lot to be said for, you know, sit your ass on the ground at a good vantage point. And when you think you've glassed it for long enough, sit there for another like hour and you <laughs> might have seen what's there. You know? Yeah. Hour or more. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's tough, dude. I, I have a, I have, it's one of my downfalls as a deer hunter. I have a hard time sitting at a glassing point for hours and hours, but every time that I force myself to do it, I am amazed at what I see. You know, it's always interesting to watch the world around you come to life. Right. And, and I probably much like you, the only way I've ever noticed to do that is you, you could do it from a tree stand. Absolutely. Um, that's, that's just a different way of doing it at the, you know, yeah. um, but man, is it just crazy when you're glassing, you're glassing and you haven't seen shit yeah. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, wow, there's one. Oh, yeah. there's another one. Oh, what's that shiny thing? Oh, those are antler tips. What yeah. is happening? Yeah. <laughs> Yep. Well, and, and dude, there's a lot to be said for learning an area you'll discover, you know, granted the, the deer move, but they are, there's undoubtedly draws or basins or whatever else that they will stay in year and come back to year after year after year. And I think we can take that even a step further. In fact, I'll tell you a good example of it. Um, when you hunt an area year after year after year and you're paying attention to the different bucks that you're seeing, you can, you, you can almost, I don't know how the deer know, you know, they've got an internal clock that they just kind of move to the same places at the same time each year, unless something drastic like pushes them out of there. And the year, so two years ago now, um, there was a buck in that area really close to where, where we were hunting. Um, there was a buck that was, I was guessing him to be about a five-year-old and he was like 160 inch deer. And, and he was just a buck that he was probably legal, but he just wasn't a buck that made you go, wow. You know, he, right. he just, it's like, well, let's just let him go another year. Just see what happens. And, I believe it was it was either one week after you were there or two weeks after. Um, I went back to that same basin because I looked back at my phone, at the phone scope footage that I had of that deer from the year prior. I looked at the date, and I thought, you know what? I'm going to go look and see if that buck shows back up. I went back there the same week, and sure as shit, dude, the sun comes up, and this buck is just glowing on the opposite hillside. And he's 187 inch, just gorgeous, typical with a couple of little dingers. And we go kill him. And I can tell you as much time as I spent in that area, I'm not going to tell you I see every deer because I'm sure I don't. But there's not many of them that I don't see when I'm hunting the same area week after week after week. Like I've got a pretty good idea of what's there. Uh-huh. And I had not seen that buck all year. And dude, that same week, sure shit, there he is. And we killed him. And he he was the best buck that I had a hunter kill this year. I mean, just a gorgeous, gorgeous deer. Yeah. And so that's you know, it just kind of takes it a step further of, you know, it takes some time and some patience to learn an area, whether it's the low country or the high country or whatever. But if you start paying attention to the little details like that, it, it'll pay off. Yeah. So that, that's one thing that I wanted to touch on, especially with the low country, uh, the high country, I feel is a little different, but the low country, you start driving out there and it legitimately looks all the same. 
Oh, yeah. Right? So what is it about certain spots that makes you hold up and say, we need to glass this? Oh. <laughs> Put you on the spot. Yeah. You know, there's, that's, that's kind of a loaded question. I mean, you saw, do we covered a lot of country and – Dude, there were times, you know, it more or less it's trial and error. I mean, we would stop and glass, and you guys are probably thinking I'm hunting for zebras or something because there was nothing out there. <laughs> and and I mean, I I literally I tell my clients when we go out there and say, hey, we've got two options. We can stay up here high. We can go and we can look at a lot of deer. We'll find a good buck, or we can go out in the desert in that low country where. I kind of feel at home and I said, we won't see very many deer, but there's a chance that we might find something really big. Um, and of course, everybody's first reaction is, well, yeah, let's go find something really big. And then we go out there the first morning and we don't see a deer. And now all of a sudden they're like, oh, okay, let's go up higher where we'll see some deer. <laughs> you know, it, it just takes some patience, but to come coming back to your original question, um, trial and error, figuring out, you know, those places that, like I mentioned earlier, that they come back to year after year. And then obviously, I mean, water, um, one of the things that I look for out in that low country on that ranch in particular is you'll hit little pockets of, I call them sarvisberry bushes. Um, and, and they'll almost cluster up and form a, uh, really thick pocket and and the deer will kind of congregate around there they go in there to bed um it just gives them kind of some shelter and so i i definitely look for that um water obviously um and other than that dude you just drive around and you spend a lot a lot of time behind your glass and i spend a lot of time behind my 15s on a tripod um I I didn't start using 15s on a tripod until two years ago. And I would argue that 15 power binoculars on a tripod have been the biggest game changer in my personal success as a mule deer hunter and mule deer guide. Um, what you see through 15s on a tripod compared to just scanning with your 10s, Dude, it's night and day, but it takes a lot of patience to be able to do it correctly. Yeah, that that is so true. And and you you I was surprised as all hell when I when we got out of the vehicle and you're like standing up. I was like, son of a bitch. Well, number one, I'm so short. I don't know if my tripod goes that small. <laughs> so, no, <laughs> but I just you know almost every time I glass, I sit down. Yeah. Um, but I could 100% see standing up, especially when you're in the middle of two and a half foot tall sagebrush, I could see where sitting down isn't really an option, you know? Yeah. Um, and, oh man, you're not kidding when you say that, uh, that the, uh, the 15s are just, if, if you're going to spend a lot of time behind glass, Something like 15s or like a Swaro BTX type thing. Um, yep. Man, it's amazing how much more willing you are to glass longer when you're looking with both eyes and you actually feel like you have an a chance to see shit as, yeah. a, as opposed to looking with one eye um, or, uh, you know, looking through maybe eights or something. And, and really even... I remember back in the day when I very first, and I say back in the day like I'm old, that was funny. <laughs> <laughs> I remember when I very first put binoculars on tripods. I, I was, you know, like, oh, all these people with their tripods and binoculars. Who do they think they are? But, you know, and. Right. And then I tried it, and I was like, "Why wasn't I dumb for not doing this?" <laughs> yeah, dude, it's crazy what you see. It's like a, it's a, it's such a game changer, you know? Yeah. Um, it's just, yeah, it's, it's nuts. But sure. so with, you know, uh, obviously like anywhere, um, especially it, it helps too, cause I've been there and I've hunted with you. Um, I noticed that we were going to 
multiple thoughts every time we went out there. Um, And are though, you know, you mentioned like trial and error, are those spots that you've kind of learned from trial and error where, where a few times you've seen pretty good bucks there and it's like, man, we're out here. You might as well go check them too. Um, or something like that. Both. Um, yeah, definitely both. There was, there was a couple of bucks in particular that, that I was looking for. Okay. Um, you know, when, when we were out in that country that, uh, you know, it's funny. It's typically the the ranch hands. You know, I always stop and talk to them when I can and say, "Hey, you seen any big deer?" You know, and and most of them are not serious hunters, but they spend more time on the ranch than anybody, right? And and if they start telling you, "Yeah, you know, I've there's I seen a giant buck with cheaters and whatever else," you you probably ought to listen to them. Yeah, um, yeah. There was there there was one buck in particular. It's been three or four years ago, but it was out in that same country, and and it was in a weird spot. And they're like, yeah, you know, we seen this really big deer, and they start describing it to me, and I'm thinking, holy crap, you know, like, it's got to be a big deer. And sure enough, dude, I went over there and we hunted over there for about a week, and and dug the deer up, and he's like 194 inch deer. I mean, just a giant. And 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 so uh, that'll do. You know, yeah, that'll that'll definitely fit the bill. But, um, yeah, we, I was looking for a couple bucks in particular. The first, the main buck that, that we were looking for was that Joe buck that just outsmarted me all year. Dude, it didn't matter. I threw everything that I had at that buck this year and he just outsmarted me. Um, which, which honestly just makes me love hunting mule deer that much more. Right. Right. I mean, that's just so cool to me that, um, even with all the modern advances and technology and whatever else that, you know what, they can still outsmart us, you know? Yep. And that, that, that's, that's pretty cool to me. Um, but we were also looking in some random places that like I had seen deer in years past, but nobody had seen a big deer there, but out in that country, dude, deer live and die without us ever seeing them. And so you never know when you're going to come over the hill and dude, there might be a, 200 inch deer in that little sage bottom so yeah we were, we were definitely digging and and you know that's what lance wanted to do lance is was similar you know he's from southern utah and likes hunting that lower desert country and that's where he wanted to hunt and he had the patience for it he knew what it took and and you know at the end of it we didn't find the buck that i was looking for but that buck he ended up killing was like an eight-year-old deer. I mean, just a gorgeous deer. He's a big frame three by four, probably right around 170. Um, you know, but he was tickled pink and we hunted our ass off and and it was just a great hunt. You know, we like I said, a seven or eight-year-old deer. What more can you ask for? Yeah, so, no, that that is that's exactly um what the the style of of hunting that lance was used to um yeah i could see um and and i hope you didn't take that the wrong way i wasn't meaning it um in any way like why did you do that to us you know that that wasn't all i was just curious you know if um because i know when i go out and i hunt the desert uh the first couple times out there it's like hmm, well these spots look good uh let's give it hell and right. if i don't see deer there the likelihood of me going back to that spot is very low but if yeah. i see deer i'm like i'm gonna have to come back and check you know right. so that's kind of what i was what i was more getting yeah. at because no you're good and, yeah and, and I, the short answer is both gotcha it, it, we're doing doing both yeah that's cool man that's because like uh, God, it's just so crazy. Um, you know, you go out and stuff like that, and it's just so crazy how from afar it looks like nothing, right? And then you yep. start getting into it, and much like that bench where Lance shot his deer, right? You start yep. getting into it, and you're like, look at uh, look at all these dips and holes and and gullies, and the, the sagebrush over there is four foot tall. And it's like, holy crap. Right. No wonder why I have to sit in glass for five hours. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's the truth. So, so with that, um, the last thing I kind of want to cover is maybe some of your glassing techniques for that type of country. I mean, are you are you kind of grid gridding when you're glassing? Are you 
looking in the shadows first and then kind of scanning everything? Are you looking for something shiny like antler tips? Like what, what's kind of your approach when you pull up and you're like, okay, I'm on a glass here. Yeah. So the first thing I always do is I look for the obvious. And, and what I mean by that is I pull, you know, I look with my tens and I look close. And when I say close, you know, look at the closest cover that, you know, or, canyons or whatever that you can see that are that are within say 200 yards and i do a really quick scan of those just to make sure that there's nothing obvious right there that you know i'm not going to sit here for a couple minutes and he's going to bust out of there without us ever seeing him so first i look close and i look for the obvious things and then i you know look at a distance and just do a quick scan with my tens again looking for the obvious the ones that are glowing in the sunlight or you can see their white ass from you know a mile away um because oftentimes you can i mean oftentimes they're pretty obvious um and then once i've done that then i get serious and i i i will pull out the 15s on a tripod and typically i'll i'll look where i would anticipate bucks to be the most like you said you know in the shade of a tree, in the bottom of a draw, um, things like that. And then I'll just start grading. Gotcha. So, so it's there. I definitely kind of have a, a system that I go through every time I pull up to a glassing point. That's cool. That's cool. That that's good to know. Um, cause I think, you know, I think it's common for somebody to get, especially in something that big, right. They pull yeah. up and you kind of are like, where, how am I going to glass all this? Like, where do I start? You know, dude, especially when you're looking at sagebrush, it's overwhelming <laughs> because it all looks the same. It does so badly. Yeah, and 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 honestly, dude, even I, dude, I get overwhelmed sometimes. I'm just like, how am I going to look over all this? And again, it comes back to just being patient. It just takes time. And then once you've looked all of it over once, start the process over and look it all over again. Um, and you'll see deer that you didn't see scanning it the first time. Yep. 100%. 100%, man. So let's kind of switch gears and okay. let's move into a little bit different type of terrain. So maybe a little bit higher, like, you know, now you're getting into some Aspen pockets and maybe some intermittent pines and stuff like that because i yeah. it just looks so much different than the flats do you know oh yeah so sure. what's what's kind of your approach to that scenario um a couple different things i when you start getting up into those quakey pockets and and scattered pines and whatever out in the desert, the low country, those deer are bedding out in the open. And so they're just visible longer. And, and you know, versus uh, when you get up in those little higher elevations, I just feel like, you know, those deer will come out and they'll feed and then they'll just kind of head back in the trees. And, and even when they get in the trees, they're still feeding for a little while. Um, and you just can't see them because they're in the trees. But those, those older bucks again, they, they kind of just developed that sixth sense. They know where they can and can't be seen. And, and it's very common to catch an old mature buck feeding right along the edge of a quaking pocket. Um, you know, I always get excited when I'm scanning with my binoculars and I glass up a buck and he's right on the edge of a quaking pocket. It's like, oh, that's probably an old mature deer. You know, he's just just acting smart. Um, and so I definitely spend a lot of time looking on the edge of those quakey pockets. Um, you know, and, and I, you have to, uh, hunt them a little differently too. kind of coming back to when you're hunting those low country bucks, they're bedding down like under sagebrush or in a bottom of a, you know, sage draw where you can typically, even when they bed down, you can usually see them. And so you can put a stock on them and kill them verse when you're hunting up in that little higher country you know those bucks might feed out for just a minute and you catch them as they're feeding back into the trees and you're not going to go kill them in the trees you can go try all you want but i guarantee you you're not going to be successful very often right um, you know your your best bet's going to be 
to put yourself in a position, assuming that the, the pocket of trees is not just giant, but put yourself in a position, you know, that afternoon where no matter where that deer feeds out of the trees that afternoon or evening, that uh, you'll be in a position to to make a play on them. Yeah, that that's a really good point because I, I think, and I've done this before too, right? You see a deer that, especially, and it's much harder when it's a deer that really excites you, and yeah. you you know your mind starts playing tricks with you, like, oh, what if somebody else saw him? Blah blah blah, right. <laughs> and before you know it, you're over there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so yeah. I, I think that's a that brings up a really great point is the likelihood of going in and shooting a deer, you know, via like by still hunting or something like that. Uh, is, Slam, dude. Yeah, it's just like, man, it's, it's super challenging. But yep. on the flip side, uh, getting close enough to that patch that you can shoot maybe the side you saw him on or something like that, or getting close enough that when you when he comes out, you can then make a play on him. Yep. Uh, I mean, your your chances probably is providing that the wind and the thermals don't screw you over. The chances of you, uh, you know, uh, putting that all together are, are probably much higher than let's go traipse through the forest today. Yeah. Well, and, and to take it even a step further, I have watched bucks feed in to your pocket of trees in the morning and feed right back out on the same trail that afternoon or evening. I mean, it's, it's not uncommon for them to go, you know, 20 yards inside the trees and bed down. And then they just come right back out when they, when they want to, you know, feed. And that brings up another good point that obviously, you know, everybody's hunting at first light and last light. What people are missing is deer move during the middle of the day. It's not for a long time. Like literally it's sometimes it's for five minutes. Sometimes it's for 30 minutes. It just depends. But those deer moving, getting up and moving during the middle of the day. And most people are back at camp. And, and I think that a lot of opportunities are, are missed out just because people aren't willing to hunt all day. Yeah. I, I like to hunt in the middle of the day. Um, that's, I mean, yeah, hunting in the morning is great, but man, you watch that animal go back to wherever and then you get closer and you find him again and then you get closer and you find him again and then you kill that sucker. Yeah. <laughs> It'll change your view on whether you should be hunting in the middle of the day or not. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Well, and I mean, there, there's two different methods, you know, that, that kind of proves this, um, you know, when we're archery hunting mule deer, probably dude, nine out of 10 stocks, we are stocking bedded deer. I mean, I've just found that we have, way more you know much higher success when we are stalking bedded deer and and typically i won't stalk a deer until they've bedded for the second time and so what i what i mean is you know a deer will feed feed in the morning he'll bed down at nine o'clock that first bed is not his bed for the day more often than not and he's going to get up after being bedded there for an hour or less which is usually not long enough to close the distance into archery range but when he moves to that second bed, he's going to bury himself somewhere where he feels comfortable, and he's going to stay there for anywhere from two to five hours. And you're going to have time to sneak in, and you're going to wait for him to stand up. And, dude, those deer always do it. They they stand up at 11 o'clock or noon, and they switch beds again mm-hmm. or 1 o'clock. Um, and then on the flip side of that, especially when I'm hunting – deer with a rifle i am a very very firm believer in the three o'clock movement and so i'm out there at three glassing and more often than not i'm finding deer on their feet feeding at three o'clock and then they're bedding back down for you know the four five five thirty and then that last hour light they get back up and that's what people are hunting is that last movement but there's a big movement during the middle of the day there that people are just missing out on. 
That's so. That's that's such a good point because I I don't more than just yourself, right? I've heard a lot of people talk about the eleven to one o'clock or yeah. the noon to two, which you know, all in that window right there in the middle of the day, yep. where just like you said, the deer gets up out of its bed, stretches, grabs a couple bites to eat, and rebeds. Yeah, and what an opportunity to see it move closer shoot it if you are already close enough um you know one thing that i i find is probably one of the hardest things that i struggle with is is when to move fast and when not to right you know because i think i think there are plenty of times that you can move fast and you know it can be very beneficial um and I and I've gotten a lot better about it over the year, but there for a while, man, it was like, what are just you got to slow down, man, just calm, calm <laughs> down. But um, I'm get, you know I'm slowly getting better and better. But there for a while, it was just like always go go go, or you know the feeling of well, what if he's not there? You know, you see him hit that bed, and it's like all in. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I I will be there before anyone else is, even if it's to an empty bed. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it's and dude, honestly, that just is going to come from trial and error. Yeah, I, I I honestly don't know that there's a, a real good way to, you know teach that to somebody other than they just got to go do it yeah it's, it's just a trial and error and you'll learn something from each stock and and i can tell you when you know when i'm guiding a client on an archery deer hunt uh and it's you know and they're fairly new to bow hunting um i just tell them we need to go on stocks and and what i mean by that is i don't care if it's a deer we're going to shoot or not if i find a deer that's bedded and it's like getting a little later in the morning um we're going to go on a stock just so that you know kind of what's going to happen and kind of what what we're trying to do because it's exciting it gets you all amped up and it just gives you a, a better understanding of what and how we're trying to kill these deer with a bow. Yeah, I, you know it's funny that that you say that because um, I remember a few times, whether it be helping my wife or helping somebody else out, and, and trying to right, and right. and they would kind of start getting frustrated with me. Well, why don't you just tell me what to do? And I and I and I'm just like, well. Here's the deal. Like I, the way I hunt and the way I move and whatever else is different than the way that you do that. Yep. Um, I can tell you, uh, you know, certain things that you have to do. Um, you know, like you have to have the wind right. Um, right. things like that. Hey, try to be out of sight when you move. You know, there's certain things right. I can tell you. Um, but much like you just said, a lot of it, you have to do it. Over and over yeah. and over and over again, and you're gonna screw them all up. Um, yeah, but that's but just you're part of it. From. Hell yeah, you're gonna learn a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and I mean, dude, it's there's such a learning curve to archery, in particular. Um, I mean, it's this way with anything that you're hunting, but I feel like archery even more so. Um, dude, I hunted archery mule deer for five years before I killed a deer just got my ass kicked over and over and over and Join over the club. and over again. And dude, I didn't have, I just had a good, good buddy who he liked to do it, but he hadn't had much success himself. Um, and so we just kind of figured it out through trial and error. And I'm not saying we've got it pinned down, but once I killed my first buck, dude, there's not many years that go by that I don't feel my, my archery tag now i mean it's just and and that's not to say that i'm just a great archery hunter because i'm not dude i still make a lot of mistakes but once you figure out kind of the gist of it i mean you just you're you become consistently more successful at punching those tags yeah 100 percent agreed i think it's almost like getting the monkey off your back right you you try so hard yeah man because you try so because i was the same way i hunted for three or four years before i shot one with a bow and it was it's like 
it starts getting in your head too, especially if you've had a few misses or whatever else. The blowing stocks, in my opinion, aren't near as bad on your mind as is when it all comes together and you screw it up and you fucking miss. <laughs> then, <That's bad. laughs> yeah, because then you're like, I did everything right and I didn't shoot the deer. Like, man, this last year in Idaho, um, I made one of the best stocks I've ever made and here comes this buck and I was trying to sell film because that's it's dumb but <laughs> I, there's this big <laughs> there's this opening down below me and I'm like range that opening because these does start funneling by and I'm like why don't you range that opening get the camera on that opening and just be ready and you know the one shoulder's like that's what you should do the other shoulder's like nah he's not gonna walk through that opening and sure as shit here comes this deer he walks right through that opening and I'm like you dumb son of a bitch if you <laughs> would have had your shit ready you could have stopped him right there 53 yards and killed him so right. he works around and follows his doe and I start trying to get the camera on him I couldn't do it and he's at like 52 yards and I'm thinking alright perfect game on and I draw back and I shoot no idea I'm like what the F just happened and well in the middle of the stock on the way over, I thought I had adjusted my sight to 50 yards. Okay. And so when I ranged him at 52, I didn't. Even, I just focused on drawn back, a good release, and all that stuff because I'm like, it's already at 50. Right. And so I go there. And I'm looking for my arrow. This deer bounds off. I got great footage of him running away. <laughs> 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 and... Uh, and the deer, you know, goes bounding off, and I go, I find my arrow, but the fletchings are missing. So what I think happened is right at the very end of my shot, I kind of jerked a little bit, trying to get my release to go off gotcha. faster. And also, it was on 60 yards, and he was 52. <laughs> so that was a little bit of a difference, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and But anyways, I think the combination of being high and him dropping, I think my – the the one of his antlers i think it hit the middle of my shaft and Ooh. and that's well that's why my fletchings were nowhere to be found and i just found the front end of my arrow gotcha. you know but that was one of those moments where you're just like i did everything right and i screwed up the shot yeah. <laughs> and those ones in my opinion sting worse you know because oh. oh dude, dude I, I, i'll send I, you a I, picture I had... too that was a good flipping deer <laughs> Yeah, you'll have to send me a picture, dude. I had kind of a similar situation. Dude, it still just kind of makes me sick thinking about it. It was this year. Dude, it was the only mule deer tag I had this year. I, I ended up just getting a general archery mule deer tag in Idaho just so that I had a tag. And a buddy and I went into an area that we'd never hunted before. Um, and, dude, I found this gorgeous, like, 27, 28-inch heavy old three-point branched in the front big old g2s and dude, i hunted this buck for three days and finally he bedded in a perfect spot and i'm like that deer's dead and he doesn't even know it yet i mean he was just it was just the perfect spot then i snuck in there i'm trying to remember how far it was it was like 37 or 40 i mean it was close <laughs> like a shot that i'm not gonna miss very often right and I sit on the buck for an hour. I the buck stands up. He starts feeding, and he moves just a little farther than I anticipated. So I pull my rangefinder out. I re-range. I put it back in my in my pouch, bino pouch, and I reach down to roll my sight to just to change the yardage. And my rangefinder pull or like pops out of my bino harness and clanks <laughs> on my bow. And there goes literally like the golden opportunity. I mean, it's just like, dude, I did everything right. That deer was so dead. And to have something so stupid, like my rangefinder falling out, screwed up. Oh, dude, I literally was angry for like three days. Uh, uh, never, never got another chance at him. I tried for two more days. Of course not. Yeah, I never saw is. that deer that I that I missed. I never saw him again. I was there for three three more days or something. Yeah, yeah. But dude, that's why we. That's why, and I know you're the same. Dude. That's why archery hunting is so addicting because when it all comes together and you freaking run an arrow, dude, that is like a euphoric high that cannot be 
replaced. I mean, yeah. there's nothing like it. Yep. Well, I 100% agree. And actually, um, I would love to do that at another another podcast with you um, and dive deep dive into archery. Um, yeah. You know, some of the shooting techniques and everything like that. Um, this one, I've already taken up an hour of your time. So, um, no, you're good, <laughs> uh, boy, how the time flies when we talk about something fun, huh? But, right. But, yeah, man, I, I – have a, a big passion for archery and I know you do too. And I think that would make a really awesome podcast, but yeah. That's so in the meantime though, man, I, I appreciate you hopping on tonight and, uh, you know, talking deer with me. It was, it was a great podcast. I think some people are going to be able to, uh, pick up some good information from it for sure. Yeah, I, I hope so. I appreciate you having me on and hopefully people can take something from it or at least get a laugh out of it. So yeah, absolutely, man. Well, thanks a bunch. You betcha, dude. We'll talk to you later.